Welcome to the Fourth Watch. As the world is falling apart, the church should be coming together, but we have to wake up first. Biblical prophecy is unfolding and we keep looking for a new normal. The enemy is parading in broad daylight, we keep changing the channel. The media keeps saying look left when the real activity is happening to the right. 2020 caught everyone off guard, which leads to one very important viewpoint. Every demonic influence running rampant in America right now had to go through the church to get here. It's time we changed our focus and our footing. No more excuses, no more racial divide, no more ignorance, and no more country club church. The enemy feels like he's on a winning streak, but we're here to remind him and you of our biblical and American heritage. We serve the Lord of Angel Armies, and we thrive when our backs are against the wall. The goal of the Fourth Watch is clear, to equip you with a biblical foundation as it relates to spiritual warfare. You don't need to be a pastor or a teacher to recognize what's happening, and the Bible is filled with references to the last days. History isn't repeating, it's setting the stage. One of our generations has to be the last, and no one is coming to save us but God. So how do we see things as He intended? How do we see the enemy at work in our daily lives? How do we respond to demonic attacks against ourselves and our family? How do we identify the deceivers masquerading as politicians, celebrities, influencers, and even pastors? And more importantly, how do we bring revival when most Christians are focused on culture over kingdom? The fourth watch is from 3 to 6 a.m. daily, the darkest hours before the dawn. It's when Abraham raised his dagger, when Jacob wrestled with God, when Peter stepped onto the water, and when Jesus arose the third day. Now, the fourth watch is our effort to show you how spiritual warfare isn't just real, it's raging. And whether you choose to see it or not, every single one of us has a role to play. Journey with us as we search the word, discuss current events, put our faith into action, and use ourselves as an example along the way. Welcome to Spiritual Warfare for the Masses. Welcome to the fourth watch. Welcome to episode zero. We are going to be your hosts for the majority of these things. Is that what you want to call it? Yeah, things that would be appropriate. What you're going to be part of is a journey. I think we're at a turning point, both spiritually, economically, socially, psychologically, but mainly it's a spiritual battle, and this is why it's the fourth watch. We're on the wall, we're watching, and we're recognizing the power of evil and the power of good. So this isn't your typical Christian podcast, although Steve and I are believers in Christ— Christ is our Lord and our Savior, and we utilize the power of the Holy Spirit to drive us in our everyday discernment of what's going on, what's happening in that war, and we are trying to utilize the tools of spiritual warfare, which we're going to talk about and discuss in detail over this whole uh, series that we're going to be doing. We're going to discuss serious topics and subject matter, so discretion is advised especially if you're young people every once in a while. (laughs) But our goal is to make sure that you leave the podcast better than when you came in. We want to arm you. We want to help you recognize the armor of God that you're going to need to get through this. We're Christians, like I said. It's not a church membership that we're relying on. It's our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We will never take ourselves too seriously. Life's too short and our work too difficult and our sarcasm too good not to share. Sarcasm? Sarcasm. Did I say sarcasm? Yeah. Sarcasm. Okay. The truth of the matter is that all of us that are involved in the fourth watch realize that that we're all a bit defective. And (laughs) (laughs) we we have to laugh at ourselves and our inability to be complete people because we're relying on the grace and the power of Jesus Christ to make us complete. We were also pretty, I won't say discontent with church, you know, the corporate church as it would be, but we found ourselves within it, among it, serving inside, giving, tithing. We were members, we're elders, but we realize that the church is asleep. The church, you know, keeps playing patty cake with the members giving him this light-hearted lifestyle message. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of strong pastors out there, a lot of great messages, a lot of pastors that are really leading their flock differently. But the majority of church as a whole is missing the opportunity to take on a wartime posture. And we're not militant people. We don't have some sort of bent towards aggression, violence, hostility. But we read the Bible. And the Bible, from beginning to end, has so many warlike messages, inferences. It's not an accident. 
The whole Bible is intentional. God is intentional with who he chose to, you know, pass down oral tradition with our Jewish heritage. He chose who he used to write down certain letters to the churches, being Paul mostly. But when we look at the Bible, we have to look at it holistically. It's all of it. And we can't cherry pick the parts of the gospel that we like or that we want or the versions of Christ that we identify with. That's idolatry. That's very dangerous territory. Nor we cannot forget that this is not a storybook. It's read as a holy book written by a creator that created you and I, and he did so out of this timeline. And it's a story about God, our creator, Yahweh, bringing us back to the spiritual family that originated in heaven way before this universe was ever created. It is our return to become part and parcel of that spiritual family in the end times and the reign of Christ. And what that really means, though, Graham, is that we're just trying to become the fullest potential of who God intended us to be. Exactly. In the time and age at which he caused us to be. Right. But we don't take it like it's happenstance. We take it like he actually knows what he's doing and that intentionality, the same intentionality he used to write the Bible and who he worked through, it's the same intentionality behind us, who we are, our personalities, our proclivities, our giftings in this day and age. Well, truthfully, every failure of man, including Adam and Eve, has been leading to the events that will ultimately allow us to be partners in one family with God and the spiritual family that was here before the foundations of this earth. And, and that, to me, is exciting because no matter how long this spiritual battle is, for me it can't be that long because I, I'm an old guy. I'm an old guy, and Steve is a young man. And for me, I know it's a pretty short-term battle, and then I'll be with the Lord, and that's fine because I know who the winner is. The winner is God, our Creator. And we will be united with the spiritual family and simply because of God's great love for his creation and for those who were present before this creation ever occurred. Let's even do that from the top just to give the listeners an idea of who we are. All right, my name is Stephen. I'm going to give you a little background just so you understand who, what, and why. I'm a Christ follower, a yeah. father, business owner, a nonprofit board member church security volunteer. I've led missionary teams. My heart is to get my hands dirty. Um, I've never been a talker. In fact, to be honest, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm not the good kind either. So my horns always held up my halo, but I always had reverence for God. I didn't always have reverence for, you know, the watered down messages of the church. And going back historically, I remember being seven years old at a YWCA Bible study my dad was giving. It's a random Tuesday night. And this woman walks in about five minutes late. She sits down while my dad is singing and playing the, the keyboard. And all of a sudden, she just starts foaming at the mouth, shaking and yelling. Next thing you know, she's on the ground. So, you know, I'm 43. You take that at seven. I found the books on the occult when I was 11. You know, I went down the rabbit hole. And to be honest, my, my role in spiritual warfare goes back even before then. But there's a side of spirituality that the church didn't inform me of, that my parents didn't tell me about. And when you realize that, the Bible is filled with not just these lovey-dovey, salt-and-light meanings and messages, but there's a whole enemy, the enemy's trying to kill you, you get a balanced perspective. I feel that's what's been missing from the church. I feel that the, if you want to call it, you know, the post-Christian church, which has these nice phrases for it, these kind of off-the-wall phrases that people don't really realize what they are, it basically means that current Christianity is seeking to be the hands and feet of Christ but you're also seizing the entire message that he gave, right? He gave the warning. He gave the blessing. You can't cherry pick the Christ that you want to follow. The church is allowing us to right now. You have a ton of great pastors and leaders that are out there leading the charge. So this isn't an indictment against the church as a whole. But what it is, it's to let you know who we are. We're focusing on spiritual warfare because the church, in our opinion, has not led the congregation towards a footing of spiritual warfare. We're trying to correct that. And we're trying to offer up ourselves as the example, like the intro said. It's interesting. Today I got up and uh, I read some scripture. I generally try to hit some psalms, a little proverbs to teach me how to live correctly. And then, then I Because you haven't learned yet. <laughs> not, yeah, not at 70, so. <laughs> and then I, I go to the scriptures, uh, the, the New Testament, and the wisdom of, obviously, Christ himself, but also the many letters of Paul. And when you see this entire woven 
thread through this scenario of man being perfect on earth, becoming imperfect because of beautiful gifts of God, which is free will. And that free will is because without free will, there can't be love. Now think about it. If you actually read the Bible, you find out that the angels had free will too, still do. And we want to make sure that Christians understand that, that they can see that God did not create evil, man chose evil. And you're knocking on the door of a very large building within people's doubt of, of religion, of Christianity. I mean, yeah. you're, you're knocking on the outside of something where people say, if he's a good God, why does he let bad things happen? Correct. And that's because of the grace, I think, of free will. Oh, it's also because he's given us a role to play and no one wants to play it. True true he's equipped us with a spirit of power love and a sound mind well who's seizing hold of that who's saying that's me it kind of gets back to that first bible study night that we had back at charlie's i ask who here is righteous not a single hand goes up (laughs) no mine wasn't i know that (laughs) it was a ghost town and in order to understand why i asked the question i wanted to know how people saw themselves in relation to christ and what he did Everyone's there because they had an inkling towards Christ. Either they were Christians or they were having a spiritual conversation or debate. It was a way of assessing who in the group saw themselves as Christ sees us. Before I dive into this, give us a background. Who's Graham? Graham is a guy that has never done the ordinary, I think, and that's that's me. I was born above a funeral home, ended up trying to avoid death, limousines that are black and suits that are black, <laughs> because my father was a funeral director. So uh, ultimately, I ended up in the military. I was a criminal investigator with 385th Military Police and 52nd CID. I came back, graduated, had a background in biology and actually European history was a minor for me because two things I'm interested in is the human body and how we function on a psychological and a sociological level. So then I was doing graduate work, and uh, I was looking for money to do graduate work. So I needed money, so I went to work for my father. I got licensed as a funeral director, and I was fascinated to begin with with the psychological implications of loss and how people grieve loss, whether it's the death of a loved one or just a death of status, loss and divorce, all these losses we have right now, we have a loss of free movement now. Or how we enter into a store, we have to put double and triple mass on. And people will look at that like, <laughs> oh, that's for other people's benefit. <laughs> There's healthy loss, right? There's the circle. Correct. There's unhealthy loss. There's sudden loss. There's bereavement. Yeah. But you spent the majority of your life dancing around that. I First I avoiding it. Avoiding it. Although I went through a lot of it, but I also studied it. I, I wanted to figure it out. On the spiritual side, I was brought up in a uh, almost a brethren church. A B- uh, bunch of bros? What is that? Oh, I, it wasn't a bunch of bros. It was a, it was a pastor that was in his 70s. He did that uh, bluing dye to his white hair. So I knew at the beginning, the beginning Shoe of polish. the month, he had this like silver blue hair, and then it would get whiter and whiter. And he was Pennsylvania Dutch, so he would, when he was quoting scripture, he'd say, Whirly, whirly, I say unto you. And especially as a teenager, I thought, you got nothing to say to me, man. You don't know what my problems are. <laughs> and uh, so it was, it was interesting. I went up and down that aisle more times, and I figured, this stuff doesn't take on me. So over the like it washes off, right? Like yeah. you go once and it washes <laughs> off, you know, half halfway through the week. Yeah, you know, as soon as uh, as soon as you see the cheerleaders, it's it's gone, <laughs> and I can't help myself. Oh, God made God made them. Well, so, that's you know, true. But I'll tell you, uh, it was it was difficult. But at the same time, I had a very firm father that was also a very basic Christian. And had this simplistic faith. Christ is Lord. I am not. It's his life that I have. And I'm going to live it for God. And I, w- I will love and respect especially the, uh, the creation that he has made, which was the earth. He was a very environmentally uh, involved person. Christ, so, Christ was eco-friendly. He was, he was, a, he, he was, also, he was also the first women's rights if you read the Bible... It's all there. He, it was the, 
first to say slave women, they're all part of the same thing. We're all equal. I love how people these days, they look at the antiquity of the Bible like that's a detriment. And what's crazy is that if something has actually survived that long, why would it actually be some sort of detriment? There must be some sort of value in it, even if people can't see it, don't recognize it, don't acknowledge it. But where you came from, how did you see the Bible in your teens, having a father that was walking closely with God? I felt that my father, who really, it's different between a father and a son. He was very authoritarian, and I respected that until he died at 86. I always call him sir. I mean, that's the way it was. And that was part of that German thing. He had very difficult time ever saying, I love you. He said, in his later years, when I knew he was going to pass, we would sit on the porch and talk about God, nature, civilization. And he'd say, well, thanks, thanks for coming by. And I'd say, well, I love you, Dad. Well, thanks for coming by. <laughs> wow. You could never say it. Because he drove it home. It, 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 was, uh, it was just part of his uh, German background. Did you then seek love from people, or were you okay operating at a deficit of love from people? No, I, th I think that, uh, I think always I had this, uh, this thing of seeking love. It's, it's interesting that you mention that. And uh, it, it took me to many wrong places. <laughs> Yeah, L looking for love in all the wrong places. There yeah. might be a song about that. <laughs> yeah, it could be. And uh, it didn't really work out that way. And then I figured, well, anything but Christianity. Yeah. First, I tried to be an agnostic, and I just couldn't be an atheist. I couldn't jump to that, but I was an agnostic, and then I built up a, a resistance to Christianity. It has to be something else. So over the years, I looked at some of the New Agey stuff. I went to India with my daughter and read a lot of the ancient texts other than the Bible. Was that more of a cerebral or mental development versus a spiritual one? Yes. It, it actually, until about four or five years ago, even after I decided, I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. <laughs> it was just... That was just a logical thing. I looked at all the religions. You got Buddhists confused. The Muslim religion is sort of like a state theology more than it, it's it's so territorial. I mean, even historically, yeah, you, you, yeah. Break, you can break that down. You just see it. And I've read the Koran. I've read the, you know, the Bhagavad Gita. It's a great book about man's nature, but I still didn't see this savior and then I started to realize that, wait a minute, also as a researcher, and I do a lot of research, I found out almost all the texts in the New Testament are within 70 years of Christ's death, and Buddhists 400 years before they even started quoting this dude. And they're talking about the veracity of the Bible? And then you find out that all the Old Testament, there's never been an oppositional finding archaeologically. Nope. Ever. These are revealed all the times. And then when was uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls found? 1949? 49, yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? Right after the state of Israel. Mm, uh, convenient. Yeah. And even today, I mean, Sparky, you gotta, you about got to be confused a bit if you don't understand the oddity of the Jews even being around, having a coherent language, and still having a religion after being spread all over the world, and everybody's trying to kill them. <laughs> you got a whole group of people, an entire, if, if you want to call them a civilization, right? You have a whole society or sect of people that right. have been barely living at the edge of extinction for 2,000 years. Right. I mean, the, the probability... They're still at the edge. The probability of that, though, is yeah. astounding. Right. From, from like a math, you know, probability statistics perspective. Okay, so give me the 30-second high-level view of who Graham is. I am a Christian that used to be a head Christian, and we'll talk, our next topic here is going to be Country Club Church. Oh, but that place. Most of my thinking of God in Christ was in the head, not the heart. And I really didn't understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that within the, the last three years, that has come to the fore because of writers like Chuck Missler, Michael Heiser, Derek Prince, who informed me that it is both of water and spirit that you become a Christian. Water being the descending under the water, an act of faith, and also sort of a reenactment of the descent 
of Christ to hell and back again. So it was that and this whole thing that I didn't really understand, pneuma, spirit, which means both breath, God breathed into Adam and Eve. That has to be the same as rhema. So pneuma is Greek and rhema is Hebrew. It is Greek because Paul chose that because it can go two ways, breath or yeah. spirit. Okay, so what's your resume? Well, I'm, I'm now coroner. I've been coroner for 32 years after being a criminal investigator. I have a TV show in 140-some countries called The Coroner Speak for the Dead. I'm working on a documentary right now on addiction, which I really want to go deeper than addiction, but it's sort of, you got to edge Hollywood along because they don't really like to talk about spirit too much. No, are you a family man? <laughs> I am a family man. I have a, a daughter, a stepdaughter, and I also have a son. I have a wild and crazy, yeah, dude, a surfer <laughs> grandson, goes all over the world. And uh, writes songs and is in a band. You have a, you have a crazy Mexican. I do have a crazy Mexican. She's one that actually had the card, didn't have to go to the wall and all that. <laughs> but uh, it's still we. It's it's sort of a funny household simply because of that. Because I'm so German and she is so Latino. So I often ask her, why do you have those numbers on your watch? Why? They don't, they, they don't even matter. No, it doesn't matter. It's like ether. It's like, it's like to play games with everyone yeah. else. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm late. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, and having the German and Mexican. Yeah, you had the same thing. Yeah. I, I can very much be, let's say, schedule challenged. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. What's your take on spiritual warfare? Well, spiritual warfare is for those who start to get touched by the Holy Spirit and start to understand that this is not a learning process of the brain. Being a Christian isn't following a bunch of rules, nor is it a group thing. It's an individual thing. So just as the Jews thought at one point, hey, we're a group and we'll be saved, there are a lot of Christians that say, well, we're a group, we're Presbyterians, we're this church, we do this, we do right things. You can't earn salvation. You can't be a member of a group and receive salvation because salvation is a personal relationship that you develop with Christ. Okay, you're talking about faith, but what is, what is your take on spiritual warfare right now? Faith is, that's a whole separate conversation. Well, I think, I, I think we cannot understand anything that's happening to us right now, not anything, without understanding that it has to do more with spirit than it does to do with politics, red-headed presidents, mentally challenged presidents. It doesn't matter. It's, it's spiritual. If, you, if you're talking to yourself at 20 and it could have changed the last 50 years of your life, what would you tell them about spiritual warfare? That you have to live every day as though you're surrounded by spirits, both good and bad, so you can't have partitions. And there's no days off. No days off. So those partitions, what do they do? How does someone live with partitions, as an example? Well, how many people have you heard nowadays in this immensely secular society say, well, you know, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual person. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't even want to answer that. So they think that doing something good or meditating so that they can someday evolve into the nothingness of the nothingness that created us. But their imagination then becomes this vehicle to transport their faith and to base their faith on, which is, my God, that's terrifying. Only speaking from personal experience, if I were just to say, I'm a spiritual person, and then my imagination kicks in. There's a darkness there that I don't think most people want to go to. But in saying that, the phrase is, everyone thinks that we're just humans having this spiritual awareness, but we're really spirits having a human experience. That difference between awareness I like that. Spirits having a human experience. Yeah. That, that's, that's what life is if you're a Christian. You switch your lens. So I'll answer the question myself. Spiritual warfare is acknowledging that you have an enemy that Christ died to give us power against. And ultimately, the work of our lives will be really summed up by how well we engage in that warfare. The quality of our life spiritually hinges on how well we engage that warfare. But in order to do that, you have to see it for what it is. The partitions on one hand allow you to carry God into every aspect of your life, right? This is where church folk were separate from 
you know, regular everyday folk because church folk held themselves all high and mighty on Sundays, but then all of a sudden their jokes and their sarcasm, their drinking and their bar activity and their partying, nothing was consistent. And so by removing partitions, as Graham is saying, we're basically saying we're going to be consistent in who we are, how we are, fallible, lovingly, mistakenly, everything included, because we're not trying to be something that we're not. And spiritual warfare is engaging in the role and relationship with Christ exactly as he intended, exactly as the Bible lays out, without compromise. And if we do that, that's where I feel we have the best chance of living a life of significance that actually eludes most people. Well, also, it's a life that reminds us going through all the hours of the day, speaking to somebody about a contract you have to fulfill, me going to a crime scene or looking at a at a crack whore in a crack house dead on the floor and nobody giving her respect as human. Uh, she's dead, obviously, when they call me as a coroner. And they just want to get over the crime scene real quick because it's nobody important, right? No, it's important. It's important. And that's because all of us... And see, if you look back in your own life when... When this podcast is over, think about it. Think about it the rest of the day. Pause and meditate on it. Do you feel like you're of this world or you're only in it? Christianity starts when you just feel like you're in the world, but you're not really of it. You're exactly what he said. That's a spiritual Christian, not a cultural Christian. Correct. Cultural Christians, actually, you kind of think yourself in the world and of the world. Yeah, you know, sort of a social time. identification, like Rotary Club or something. Yeah, which, which is probably the worst place to be. And that gets me to one point. You know, we all live in three worlds. The world we want to live in, the real world we choose not to see, and the spiritual world that's driving the other two. <laughs> that's really good, Steve. If you, if you break it down that way, the world that we want to live in is the world that we create, we manufacture it. It's, it's the job we want. It's the social class and status. It's the things, the house we want, the cars we want to drive, the kids we want to raise. It's, what, it's the clothes that we wear. We're insulated. The stores that we go to, the Starbucks that we get in the morning, we develop a world and create a world for the most part in this first world country of America. We do so of our choosing. Of course, you know, our decisions impact that, the person that we marry, the kids that we have. But then there's the real world that we choose not to see. That's the, uh, that's the ghetto, right? That, that's the inner city. That's the part of society, the fringe part where there's violence, that we don't want to think about violent things or bad things. That's the real part where there's wars happening, conflicts happening around the world, but we don't want to think about those things because they're too heavy. Well, we sterilize them too. We use drones now. We don't kill people. We neutralize them. Arm's length. But, but we don't even think about those things until the news gives us a report of what the, you know, the president did or didn't do or pulling troops out of a country. And then the third world is the spiritual world that we won't even acknowledge as driving the other two when really, as Christians, we're the only people that have authority in both places at the same time. True. And, and so what we're trying to do is to actually live and bring our world into the real world. The reality is the real world is constantly encroaching on the desired world that we created. And every Christian's goal should be to align all three as Christ instructed. Don't love your lives unto death. And then God's wisdom kicks in and situates us to achieve this. Christ rises from the grave, one of the most documented moments in history. There's more eyewitness reports that have survived antiquity than copies of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm -hmm. Yet people deny it happened. And so when you have that, we're going to be presented with absolutes, like the burgeoning discomfort that the real world has been dealing with for decades. The real world is dealing with poverty, food insecurity, is dealing with their facet of their society, their world crumbling apart. Look at Middle Eastern countries. They're dealing with possible bombings just being dropped out of the sky without even seeing the plane that did it. We can't live insulated anymore. But what's happening? Look at BLM. Look at the riots. Look at COVID. People's fears are manifesting in ways and society's woes are catching up with us to the point where we can't put baby in a corner anymore. We can't just turn a blind eye. Sounds like the days of Noah. Oh, it's, it's absolutely getting there. So <laughs> lay that on top of this for us. So it's 2021. 2020 went sideways on everyone in every, in every possible manner except for, you know, if you own Amazon stock or Netflix or Google. Or Google. iPhone. So if you look at Days of Noah, Graham, what does that mean to you? What, what was the Bible trying to warn us about? Days of Noah, and this gets back to spiritual warfare and what occurred when Adam and Eve 
utilized free will and took from the tree of good and evil and had to be expelled. It didn't mean that God gave up on them. He still loved them. They did face mortality then. And then if you if you look at the Bible and you go through some of the studies, and we're going to build a bibliography of people that we really think uh, if you you read their books and listen to their lectures, you might really start to understand how vivid and real this spiritual warfare is. Because God relinquished the nation states, because spiritual warfare is also geographic. There's a reason why Jerusalem is the center to so much of the politics. When that happened, people still wanted to have the man solution. And then you had Babel, the Tower of Babel. And then from Babel, you have Noah. And from there, you have a plan that goes to where we are now. It's all linked together so that this plan will ultimately come around and Christ will deliver salvation and have a a reign here with us believers. And you can see that flow through 2,000 years of history. That's why I'm saying this book was not written in this timeline. And you can prove that by what is described in the Old Testament is then revealed in the New Testament. So to help people understand that, Graham, what you're saying is the Bible is still relevant. doesn't matter when it was written, almost as if it's written outside of time. It's the only book that's important. Other books are edifying. (laughs) It's the only book that's important in my life. I'm just blown away with it. But for people who don't even pick the book up, they're looking at you like, well, yeah, you've got time on your hands. You've got all these things. You've got, you know, a certain job, a certain disposition. They make every excuse to stay away from the book to their own detriment. But when it relates to spiritual warfare, can someone, since we're all spirits, can someone engage in spiritual warfare without picking up the Bible? No. Can someone engage in spiritual warfare without knowing Christ? No. Can someone engage in spiritual warfare knowing about Christ, but not calling him Lord? No. So really it means you're either a victor, a victim, or a hapless bystander who's going to be impacted one way or another, but by virtue of a number of situations or reasons, you don't have a dog in the fight. Yes, and there's a perfect description of that. If you remember the young man that come, came to Christ and said, can I follow you? And the young rich ruler that came to Christ. Yes, yeah. the young rich ru- ruler. Ultimately, it came down to put up or shut up. The Bible didn't say if he was a good man. didn't say if he was a good ruler. It just said he was a rich, young ruler. Right. Jesus said, sell your belongings and follow me. And it really threw him off because what he was looking for was an answer, but he didn't have commitment to follow through with what the teacher told him to. Well, he was pretty proud of himself. He said, I follow the Ten Commandments and all that. He didn't understand that no man is perfect. Christ said that, no man is perfect. But he was trying to get away with still being himself. Yes. And still having what he had, but still learning something. He didn't know that the lesson that he needed to learn was a thing that he wouldn't relinquish. That's terrifying to me because along with the story of Samson, which is the absolute most terrifying story of the Bible, <laughs> if you think about it, it's when you when you seek an answer, you get it, and then you discount it or disqualify it somehow. And if, if you're really calling out to Christ as Lord, if you read the Bible and you say, no, I don't want that, that's not for me, and you discount it or disqualify it, it's of no good to you. Because this is how this is playing out. Either the Bible's real or it isn't. Either he is God or he isn't. Either that Bible is the word of God, as in God breathed, or it isn't. And listen, don't give me an argument about the Council of Nicaea or Constantine. You weren't around 1,700 years ago. You don't know how it went down. Unless you were in the room, then you've got something to say. Other than that, you're just an armchair jockey getting mad at history and that it didn't go the way that you would actually desire it to go. The crazy part is, and this is what people need to realize, the Bible is changing people's lives daily. The deeper that you go into it, you are changed. Changed his mind daily. The transformation that occurs when your faith is built and renewed is something that cannot be articulated. It's something that even defies science. Why, Why are certain cancers and certain illnesses and ailments healed? Why is it that some people have endured when their lifestyle choices should have actually taken them under? Why do prayers come true? And when people are like, oh, but my prayers don't come true. Well, yeah, are you praying for selfish things? Probably. This is we hear most people praying for help or for blessing. Are you even doing the work? If you're not doing the work, don't lie to yourself. Don't try and say, I I can somehow skeet to the front of the line, get a direct answer, and then not do the thing that the answer tells you to do and still have your answers, your prayers come true. That's the crazy part to me. So the young ruler came in, 
He got the answer. He didn't want it. It vexed him. And he left sad. He left sad. Listen, if you're rolling with Jesus and you leave sad, you're doing something wrong. Just saying. Okay, so we also need to address a couple things before we get too far into this, right? So first and foremost is who and what we are. Second is the reality of the world that you live in. There's a world that you designed. There's a real world outside of us in the spiritual world. We need all three to collide. What we need to address right now is your value system and your heart posture towards God and man. Our value system as Christians is so simple and straightforward. We simply love what God loves and we hate what God hates. There's nothing in between. If we stick to that, we love what God loves, we hate what God hates. Imagine that like a big cookie cutter press or a machine press that just trims off all the extra noise, all the excess around that. And God did so intentionally to benefit us. But the second thing is your heart posture towards God and man. You cannot love men more than God. You cannot love them equally. You have to love God first and most. What that means is you can't do things that appease men that God says, I do not value or I deem irrelevant or I deem sinful. Case in point, the language of LGBTQ, NMNOP, blah, blah, blah. You can't appease men and allow them to use language that God says no, because what's happened? Language has become the only sin that is now an identity. People identify as a sinful nature. Look at Romans 1. What does it say? You want it bad, you get it bad. If there are people that want a life apart from God, he removes himself and leaves them to a debased mind. And now what's happening with the LGBT community, you know, whatever that gay community is, they want to legalize everything from incest to pedophilia. Look what happened in California where consensual sex with a minor is okay now? Yes, because a child at uh, age 9 or 10 can decide whether they want sex with some dirty old man. And so this is how, if you look at your heart posture towards God and man, if you love what God loves first and most, you don't even allow men to, to carry on this behavior or change this language. You don't. And when I say you don't allow it, is that you have a vocal opposition against it. You have an opinion based off the Bible against it. I saw just this morning, I make commentary on events going on now that give you signposts to exactly what we're in. There was a 70-some-year-old pastor in England. And I think England's just about trash right now. Is that the one that was arrested? Yeah, he was arrested because he was uh, pointing out in the Bible that God made men and women to be partners and to have families and then to go out and multiply and change the world. Where are we today in England or the United States? Over 50% of the kids that are born today are from a fatherless home. And marriage is not a sacrament. It's barely a contract. It's some sort of a civil thing for a while. And you'll have a prenup, and then, you know, you go on from there. So we, we've destroyed family. We've given our educational institutions, again, not speaking up, we've given them over to the satanic forces. There's no doubt about it. I mean, today, they have people in grade schools reading books from the transgender community. We have pediatricians who are doctors, educated people, giving hormones to children that will destroy their bodies. They'll never be the same as they were when they were just left alone. And they're saying they're doing it so they have more time to decide whether they're a man or a woman. This is the insanity of evil. They're sexualizing children in a way that, you know, no one wants. And what's crazy is look at how it's actually become a complete detriment to children. Children should never be left with these questions about their sexuality because even to approach the subject matter ahead of its time is to actually accelerate their development disproportionately to the rest of their emotional intelligence. That is not just frightening, it is against the natural order of things. Because think about it, our emotional intelligence, our awareness, our physical intelligence, all these things accelerate almost in unison in an environment that just pushes, hey, we're going to give you information on general topics, which is what school used to do. And the fact that school is approaching sexuality now at a younger and younger and younger age with deviance included in it outside of two genders. This has all happened within the last 10 years. Our Christianese, our nice posture towards everyone, where we're basically saying like we want to be everyone's friend, it's backfired. 
it's going to cost us a lot more. And what's even on the table is us talking about, listen, this is going to cost us everything. This is going to cost us our future, our legacy, our statelihood. This is going to cost us our peace because other people will look at us as weak and effeminate. And listen, as a nation, sorry, I'm not trying to make this a, a misogynistic thing. You have to have power as a nation. We were the world's superpower. And look what's happened. Under this president, you've got Russia, China posturing strongly. You've got Turkey doing things, and there's absolutely no response. I mean, Turkey carved off a whole piece of Armenia that has been at peace. They bombed a monastery. What do we do? Nothing. Armenia was the first Christian, Christian nation. nation. Yep. And take a look where these battles are on. Damascus? What world was Paul on when he got knocked off the donkey? The road to Damascus. Yes, he was. We're back there again, folks. The, the state that would never be reunited. And prior to 1948, they said, well, there'll never be a Jewish Jerusalem again. And then, boom, Belford Declaration, and all of a sudden there's a state of Israel. Now, today, it is the center of geopolitics. Don't you think that's a bit odd? Can't you see the spiritual weaving of powers back and forth? This is what we're fighting. And when we say militant as Christians, what we're doing, we're not militant with people. We're militant with evil. It's the evil we have to hate because it is destroying humans. It is destroying the soul within the human. I'm writing out drug deaths every day because people are killing themselves because they have no meaning in life. Their soul feels dead. I'd love to have a syringe with Holy Spirit in it, but it doesn't work that way. It would also terrify people. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's one thing to deal with the demons that you know. It's another thing to be presented with an entirely different lens of life that actually shows people that not only are they accountable, but they've had the potential to be the best, not just the better version of themselves, but to be the best version of themselves. And they chose to, almost like smacking the hand away, right? They chose to ignore it. What did God mean when he said, I, I'm going to make them in the image of God? We're it, imagers down here. We're supposed to carry the image of God in our character and our countenance and how we act, how we love, how we care for others. And so that's why 2020 is what tragedy looks like. That's right. We're no longer imagers as far as a Christian population. There are imagers in this population, but not too many. When we look at it, when God gave us the entire story, he knew us so well that he also gave us his Holy Spirit as a companion to teach and guide and help us along the way. The simple truth is that the Bible's relevance has never, ever been so strong regardless of how you choose to see it. And so as we open up about spiritual warfare, as we take this forward, we're going to nudge you, we're going to push you, we're going to edify you and equip you to seize hold of the power that the Bible intended, as Christ intended. If you don't, the option is yours. We're not forcing you to do anything. The truth of the matter is this. It's the best way I heard a pastor put it. Bayless Conley said, if I can come along and talk you into something, someone else can just as easily come along and talk you into it. Talk you out of it. We're not, we're not trying to convince you of something that you should do. To be honest, I'm not going to say I don't care but I'm as close to not caring as possible. The Holy Spirit is on the move. The Holy Spirit is working, Amen. driving, Amen. thriving. Yes. And God knows those that are His. So the right people that hear this are going to say, finally, and do something about it. And the wrong people are going to hear this and just turn the channel and say, oh, that's offensive. Good. It should be. This isn't a podcast for everyone. We're not trying to be every Christian's friend. We're going to be talking about things that are going to be off topic. We might be doing so with a glass of whiskey in our hands. We might even uh, might cuss a little bit, just a little bit. Maybe. Don't know. But what we're going to try and do is, is be as real and honest as possible. And we're going to help engage spiritual warfare from a different perspective and a different lens. It's your choice to do with it as you please. So to be a spiritual warrior, to be a serious Christian, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about the tools you gain once you allow Christ into your heart, not your mind. This isn't a mental thing. This is a life thing. This is communication with the spirit that's inside of you. You should be a useful member of the body of Christ. You should be feeding the poor. You should be caring for the elderly. You should be speaking the truth. Nobody defended that 70-year-old pastor when they pulled him off a stepladder today. You know how they, in England, talk in the open parks? Yeah. Everybody just watched. 
They just watched. And they roughed them up a little bit, which I thought was interesting. The problem was they said that the Bible quotes that they had were hate speech, and he was arrested for it. So buckle up, folks. The same thing with things like being commanded to take a vaccine that still has not been approved by the FDA. Nope. All three show issues with clotting factors. There are women who are now, even menopausal women, get the vaccine and then have menstrual cycles again. This is a dangerous thing. That, that means it's messing with women's fertility. And men, too, I think. We don't even know no. what that looks like yet. I got vaccined, uh, you know, when they didn't even have an option back then. Nobody questioned it. We just thought it was a good thing. He took the bullshit vaccine years ago. It's good. Well, I, I have that one, too. But it was in the military. You know, you're going overseas, you take malaria and all these different shots because you're going to go overseas. The other thing is that you're going to be called to a battle if you're going to become a Christian. There's going to be a separation of the shaft from the wheat, and you're going to have to make choices. And some of the choices are not going to be pleasant for you because of my religious thinking and because of those concepts of the days of Noah. And the fact that I already had COVID. I mean, why am I taking a vaccine when 99% of the people are okay yeah. after they get it? Because, because they told you to. <laughs> so I'm taking an untested drug. It's not a vaccine. It's a biological agent. It's a biological agent they're putting in you. And here I am. I have the natural immunity. Why would I need a certificate to show that I have a vaccine when I already have a natural immunity, which, by the way, is doing quite well? There's beautiful studies over in northern England that show those with the natural immunity because they had COVID aren't getting reinfected, even with some of the variants. So that's because you know why? God made the immune system. These guys are trying to go around it and just geoengineer you. Oh, you mean GMO is a bad thing? GMO food, GMO mosquitoes. Right, GMO we're going to be like a tomato, man. We're going to be red, big, sweet, and no substance to us. <laughs> Nothing, just a very thin shell and then squishy just, insides. We'll be watching Netflix or something like that on a sofa with our guaranteed income, the four masks on, and our children will... Be all the worse for it. Oh, yeah, they won't even be able to, to study math because it's... It's, it's offensive. A, it's an offensive... It's racist. It's a racist concept. How did numbers become racist again? I thought numbers just were a thing. Uh, I thought numbers was a chapter in the Bible, but who knows? Oh, yeah, I didn't even get that far. Yeah. Now, one last thing. Timothy said you got to use the Bible for wisdom and instruction. Timothy also said you're going to lose it at the end. Right. So the, the bottom line is this. There's a couple of great databases out there. There's many. Two that we use a lot are Logos and Blue Letter Bible. It's not easy to get started with this, and we're going to try to help to do that, but there's great people out there. Michael Heiser, Derek Prince, and um, there's a lot of resources. Chuck Missler. Yeah, we have a lot of resources on the website. You should yeah. go there, check it out. A lot of videos. We're going to upload some book content, but the whole point is if you can follow along with us, we're going to help you change the narrative. You're going to see things happening differently. The exact same events you would have seen, you know, a year ago, two years ago, it might get a little accelerated. But if we're able to do this right, we're going to tear the veil of spiritual activity and you're going to see it for what it is. But you'll also be equipped with tools and resources to engage it differently. The confidence and use them. I, I was just yeah. talking to a bunch of addicts at one of the shelters. And five years ago, I wouldn't have been living the life I'm living now. I was a Christian. I guess it was one of those where I still had that concept, but maybe there's many roads up to the top. Oh, uh, yeah. How, but, it's convenient. But I, I did not have the infilling of the, the Holy Spirit to the extent I have now, which then gives you tools. So when two of these addicts said, would you pray for me? I did, and I laid hands on them because these are tools that the Holy Spirit can give you too, and they can make a meaningful difference. But... I was actually laughing at myself on the way back from talking to these addicts back to the uh, forensic lab. And I was thinking, oh, Lord, have you changed my life? Man, oh, day. I couldn't have imagined this five years ago. And I can't imagine you five years from now if you start to understand the concept of spiritual warfare. And it's not just about you. There's a concept of sin that you need to understand. Sin doesn't just affect you. Sin throws you off of your mark. But sin also makes you a vehicle and a gateway to affect other people, either by, by your direct action or even your inaction. What if God wanted you to intervene in someone's life, but your sin 
kept you from doing it. The weight and the guilt and the shame that the devil and demons are so used to applying on people actually kept you from making that connection, picking up the phone, sending the text message, stopping by to ask that person is okay, praying with someone because you're too inside your head and you feel like you're disconnected from God. Spiritual warfare on one hand affects you, but it absolutely affects those that you love, those that God put you in the path of. It's bigger than you. This whole spiritual walk, what Christ did, he's saying, follow me. And what did he do for others? Everything. Everything. We're not supposed to love our lives unto death where we just build and design our life to be a thing that edifies us and checks the box and looks good on paper and looks good on social media. We're supposed to walk in a way that impacts and changes the course of people's lives for the better. And then to watch them do the same thing for others. We're supposed to be a force multiplier. It's a little military term where you take one person, give them the right resources, tools, opportunities, and they can train others and equip others. But we're not pastors. We're not teachers. We're just people trying to walk out our faith differently. Hopefully, this will add value to what you're doing. But first and foremost, you need to stop seeing Christ on the cross. You need to see him in the risen grave. He died for your sins. Amen. Accept salvation, repent, confess, and not confession before a priest, by the way. That's just weird. You don't need a middleman. Along with that, you need to see the risen king. You need to see him as Lord and commander. Invite him in your heart. Invite him in your heart. Yeah. Have a personal relationship with him like you would with the best friend you ever had or, the, or your wife or your children. Because you're in that family. He wants you in that family, his family. And you don't have to be Christian to listen to this podcast, but it's going to help. You're going to miss a lot of jokes, a lot of references. You're going to miss <laughs> a lot of banter back and forth. But if you're something else, this is an opportunity to evaluate where you're at and why. Like, why? Why is your faith or your lack of faith, why is that something that you ended up with or something that you chose? Is it working? Does your faith give you footing does it give you perspective? Does it give you peace? Does it give you patience? Does it give you some sort of virtue that benefits others? Or is it barely leaving you with enough resource to almost shore yourself up, but still not come through for others? Or maybe you are, but maybe it's not the scale that you want. Or maybe you are, it's at the scale that you want, but reality is God designed you for more. You won't know until you start applying yourself. And you won't know until you see yourself in the lens as Christ sees you. Christ died on the cross for everyone's sins. None of us are worthy. None of us earned it. None of us, none of us will earn it. And God doesn't respect us, but he loves us that much that it meant sacrificing himself for us. So wherever you're at, welcome to the show. Welcome to the party. Maybe you're going to binge listen to this a year from now. And we're going to all have a laugh like, what the heck were we talking about? Probably by that time, you'll be part of the family. Oh, yeah. You're going to understand the whole thing, the whole thing. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, so much so that we weep, we laugh, we cry, we battle, and it is the way we are supposed to live. And the cruel reality is tomorrow isn't promised. So whatever you do between now and then, I don't know about you folks, I'd like to go down fighting on my feet, then living on my knees in submission to other gods, to evil men, to, to demons that are trying to absolutely destroy us. Christianity is the only way to do so. What has happened to us when I see somebody sitting in a BMW with two masks on, gripping the steering wheel, worried about what they have, what the price of housing is? All those things are things we have to attend to, but they're not the important things. They're afraid to live because they want to concentrate on loss and death. Satan is death. Christ is life, the real life that you want to live. May the, the countenance of God shine upon you. May his face shine upon you. May he raise you up and allow you to learn what his family is. Go to his writings and find out what weapons you have to make a better life and truly live it. And we're going to talk about some things just to make sure we bookend this whole experience. Yeah. All right, biblical prophecy is happening. We're going to give you some examples as we go forward along the way. You also see where, all right, you know what's actually going to be relevant? I might as well read it. Second Timothy chapter 3. Yeah. I always go back to this. People are like, oh, there goes Steve again. Second Timothy chapter first, 3. First and second Timothy, really, I, I love those. They drive it home. All right. For this time. All right, New King James Version. Don't make it weird. And tell me I have the wrong version because I'll fight you. <laughs> but know this, 
that in the last days, perilous times will come. Amen. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Black Lives Matter, unforgiving, <laughs> reparations. They can't even forgive the path. They have uh, to tear down the statues uh, and everything. Oh, because it's offensive. Right. Because they're, 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 they're so tender. Yeah. Slanderers. Right? Defamation. <sighs> Any defamation happening in the news and media right now? Well, that, that they is called the media, isn't it? Oh, look. It's the Professional Slanderers Association. Okay. And people without self-control. Brutal. <sighs> despisers of good. Traitors. Listen, if you don't believe what the country, what the government is doing to this country right now is treason... Those are traitors. But listen to this. What we've been doing to God is also treasonous. Oh, man. Amen. So we're not off the hook. Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. <laughs> Having, oh, how many Netflix accounts have been you know, paid at you know, whatever tune per month? Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away so it starts off saying but know this that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be all these things and from such people turn away guess what folks we can't unless you're turning off the tv and say you want to completely remove yourself from society guess what you even still can't so if you're in it god called you to be here think about this you're born for a reason god knows the number of hairs on your head which means that he actually intended for you to happen to the end times which means he actually intended for you to be born on the edge of eternity. What you do with it matters. How you see yourself matters. But if you do nothing with it, it's not our fault. It's not the pastor's fault. There are no proxies. You're not going to die and go before God and blame someone else for why you did or didn't accept Christ as your Savior and then seize hold of the power that he gave you. It's your free will, brother. And so the Bible says, and this is where we'll, we'll cap this off. The Bible says that the Lord knows those that are his. But then the Bible also says, in Jesus' own words, my people will die for lack of knowledge. Don't think just because you love God and you love Jesus that you aren't fair game for the enemy to come at you. Don't think for a second that you aren't fair game to be taken out of this you know, world ahead of your time. You can be deceived. You can take medicine. You can take advice. You can take suggestions to your grave, to your premature grave. And then guess what? What does God say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Or does he call you a squander and said, I built you and designed you to do more? The choice is yours. Every day when I walk into the office, I'm looking at case files or dead bodies on stainless steel tables. And I'm saying, hey, they're surprised. They're dead. So spiritual warfare, as we know it, is an invitation to approach God with clarity and intensity, determined to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and our role operating with the Holy Spirit. But this is intentional. Spiritual warfare is a choice. It's actually a lifestyle. And it doesn't mean that you're militant. It doesn't mean that you're angry or hostile. But it means that your eyes are wide open to what God has in store for you to see and pray against. And by the way, this is, this is where the whole price of admission for this whole first episode. Spiritual warfare is about acknowledging who you are in Christ and praying differently. Literally praying heaven down. Amen. If you don't, you're just, you're leaving so much on the table. So much. That's, that's the best we can describe. That's it, folks. God bless. Godspeed. Get after it. Tell others. Let's get into a conversation. Forward this and say, hey... These guys are crazy. You should listen to this. <laughs> and, and by the way, last names don't even matter. This this isn't about us. It's just about what we're doing. We're not trying to sell you something. There's, uh, We're not a church seeking your money. We got nothing to ask of you other than you got to start seeing this differently. We need more people in the fight. That's it. Thank you. Go home. Get out of here. What are you doing here? It's weird. <laughs> we're done. It's ended. Yes, we are. I'm going to go out. All right, let's go. Bye. Bye. And there it is, April 30th, 2021. It's finally on the books. Yeah, that kind of took us some time. It is May 11th, 2022. We're clearing through the archives, but listen, this whole episode is a primer, right? Gives you an idea of who we are, what we're doing, how we see things, how the word has impacted our life and changed our walk. 
The word is the same, just like God, yesterday, today, and forever, which means spiritual warfare is going to happen yesterday and today. Actually, not forever. There's a certain time, you know, after 7,000 years, we'll have to talk about that later. But for the time being, we're trying to help you walk this life out on your feet, to war this out on your feet, instead of living life on your knees, spiritually in the throes of everything the enemy is going to try and send at you. So that said... Thanks for your time. We appreciate you listening. For more information, visit us online at www.forth.watch. Go ahead and visit us on Instagram at forth.watch or at Graham Hetrick. All these opinions, thoughts, whatever you want to call them, right? We're still going to do our thing. We're just trying to give you a little lens as to how this is happening. We're you know, not your everyday typical Christian podcast, nor do we care to be, to be honest. But that said, we want to edify the body of Christ and uh, want to be used no matter what. At the end of the day, everyone's hope should be used by God wherever they can be, wherever they're called. That's it. Stay safe out there. It's still getting weird. Only going to get weirder. God bless and Godspeed. Godspeed.